What's up, Upper Room Podcast family? This is Jehoshaphat, and we are so thankful for you for tuning in. Guys, this Sunday morning, we had the honor of having Dr. R.T. Kendall with us once again. This man is absolutely brilliant, has written a plethora of books. His wisdom and his revelation with his time with God has been absolutely refreshing, not just to our community, but globally. This weekend, he spoke about total forgiveness. He taps into the life of Joseph and his brothers, and we can see how God walked Joseph and the decisions he made throughout his life to walk in total forgiveness. This message has impacted not only our community, not only those online, but every person that has heard about this and read the book has been immensely impacted by this. Guys, stay tuned, listen to the whole thing, and hopefully God just marks your life with total forgiveness. Love you guys. Thank you, Michael. I'm almost overwhelmed to be back here. Not only to be back here so soon, but just being here. I just am enthralled with the the spirit here. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I have a message that God has used, but I never take anything for granted. And I would just pray that the Lord would do it again. I'm going to read to you from Genesis chapter 45. And uh, before I start reading, for those who may not know the whole story about Joseph, uh, just to bring you up to date, and then I will read from verse 1. Joseph was the favorite son of Jacob. Jacob was not a good father. The truth is, showing favoritism is never a good thing. But Jacob did, and he not only made it obvious that he loved Joseph more than the other brothers, but gave him, made for him a coat of many colors. Uh, they don't know how to translate the Hebrew, but when we get to heaven, look forward to seeing what it looked like. The only thing worse than giving it was wearing it. And it didn't bother him. He strutted around that coat of many colors in front of his brothers. And then on top of that, he had what I would call a gift of prophetic dreams. The dreams he had indicated that one day his brothers would bow down to him. (laughs) And he told the dreams to his brothers. Not smart. Uh, Oh, I had another dream. Last night, the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. You didn't need to be Sigmund Freud to interpret that dream. They got it. They couldn't take it anymore. They decided to kill him. They would have killed him, except that at the last minute, uh, Ishmaelites happened to be passing through, and the brothers said, well, let's not shed blood. They sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites, yanked that coat of colors uh, off his back, and dipped it in blood, lay it before old Jacob, who took the bait, and said, a wild beast has devoured my son. I will go to my grave in mourning. The brothers tiptoed away, breathed a sigh of relief. 
The Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. So it's not over yet. The truth is that the Ishmaelites sold Joseph to an Egyptian officer by the name of Potiphar. And uh, Joseph had never done a day's work in his life. And now he's, he's got a job. But God is with him. And he becomes the head of Potiphar's household. Uh, it wasn't long until Joseph faced a temptation that he was not expecting. It's only a matter of time that every child of God will face sexual temptation. Potiphar's wife was physically attracted to Joseph. Usually it's the other way around. A man is attracted by sight. But Potiphar's wife noticed that he was handsome, well-built, and kept saying day after day, come to bed with me. Most people I know who avoid an affair do it because they think they might get caught, and that's what keeps them from having the affair. But it was the perfect opportunity for Joseph. He's in a foreign country. Nobody back in Canaan would ever find out. She's not going to tell her husband. But he resisted her on this basis. He said, how can I do this and sin against God? God knows. And this is the test. Whether you're willing to resist sexual temptation because God knows. Well, Joseph could not have known that he was earmarked for future greatness. He could not have known that when he resisted Potiphar's wife, the angel said yes. But Joseph felt nothing. And the next thing you know, she accuses Joseph of trying to rape her. Her husband believes it. The next thing you know, Joseph is in prison. How do you suppose he felt? He's in prison because he did the right thing. He must have thought, thanks a lot, God. I do the right thing and here I am. Is it possible that there's someone here today? Because you did the right thing, everything wrong has happened to you. But God knows about this. Well, now, Joseph is in prison. Uh, I'll fast forward just to explain that Joseph's prophetic gift became used, and the word eventually reaches the Pharaoh who has a dream that nobody could interpret. And word reaches the Pharaoh that there's a Hebrew who interprets dreams. Now, this Hebrew did not have a good reputation. You talk about a past, how would you like to be accused of rape? And he's a Hebrew. But you see, it goes to show that when your time has come, God has a way of overruling everything that's in your past and maybe you feel God cannot use you because you've got something on your record. You have a past. But the Pharaoh was so desperate, it wouldn't matter what was in Joseph's past. He said, I hear you can interpret dreams. Not only did Joseph interpret the dream, but then made an application and said, Your Majesty, you have seven years of plenty coming up right now. You need to plan for the future because it's going to be followed by seven years where there's no plowing and reaping. And if you can plan ahead, 
then you will be ready for the second seven years. Well, the Pharaoh says, who could we find better than this man to do the job for us? So that overnight, Joseph is made prime minister of Egypt. Well, now, years later, because the famine is reaching Canaan, Joseph knows that the time has come that his dream would be fulfilled. And so what I read now is when Joseph faces his brothers. He's speaking through an interpreter. They have not a clue that it's their brother. He knows who they are. They don't know who he is. And he knows this is the moment his dreams are being interpreted and fulfilled. He always thought that God gave him those dreams so that one day he could look at those brothers and say, gotcha, and throw the book at them and get even for what they did. But instead of saying, gotcha, it's a new Joseph. It's a broken Joseph. And so we read Genesis chapter 45, beginning at verse 1. And so, Joseph could no longer keep his composure in front of all his attendants. So he called out, send everyone away from me. No one was with him when he revealed his identity to his brothers. But he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it. And also Pharaoh's household heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But they were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Please, come near me, come close to me. And they came near. I am Joseph, your brother the one you sold into Egypt. And now don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here because God has sent me ahead of you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years and there will be five more years without plowing or harvesting. God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. May God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this his most holy and infallible word. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, one more time I ask now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Spirit to rest upon every person in this place and all who hear these words in order that their perception of what I say will be heard as you intend. Cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent vehicle to say all that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. 
Help me to be very, very clear, very, very simple. And I dare ask that not only will this be life-changing, but literally no one here will ever be the same again. And may this word bring great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. The word I feel led to bring you today was born in what was the darkest hour that my wife Louise and I ever went through. It was during our 25 years in London. They were the best of times, the worst of times, to quote Charles Dickens. And what happened was so wrong. It was unjust, it was unfair. And I thought our future was over. The future was bleak. And I never had to experience anything like it. An old friend from Romania, his name, Joseph Ton, T-O-N, pronounced T-S-O-N. He happened to be in London, and because I knew he wouldn't tell anybody, I decided to tell Joseph what they did. Now, if I'm honest, I only did it so he'd put his arm around me and say, R.T., you ought to be angry. Get it out of your system. <laughs> That's what I wanted. He just looked at me and said, anything more? I said, no, that's it. If I could narrow 25 years in London down to 15 minutes, I could not have known they would be my finest hour. It's when Joseph Zone looked at me and said, R.T., you must totally forgive them. For until you totally forgive them, you will be in chains. Release them, and you will be released. Nobody had ever talked to me like that in my life. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And then I thought, Joseph, I really haven't told you everything. I've got more to tell you. He, he interrupted me. And I dare not try to sound Romanian, but it sounded a bit like this. R.T., you must totally forgive them. <laughs> For until you totally forgive them, you will be in chains. Release them and you will be released. I said, Joseph, I can't. He said, you can and you must. I have to tell you, it was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. And almost certainly the hardest thing you will ever have to do. And that's when you let your enemy off the hook. Or that person who betrayed you. Who let you down. Completely off the hook. And not only that, you pray for them. And when you pray for them, you don't just say, well, Heavenly Father, I just commit them to you. Because you're hoping God will kill them. <laughs> That is not what Jesus meant, but he said, bless your enemy, pray for them. When you actually pray for them to be blessed, you say, RT, I could never do that. I believe you, I understand. It's the hardest thing 
you ever, ever have to do. And by the way, this will not happen because the Holy Ghost comes and overpowers you. I have to tell you, it's an act of the will. It's an act of the will. The truth is, when you know that you've been mistreated, and it's so unfair, it seems so unfair that they get off the hook. But this is the way it is. Now, I want to say this. If I told you my story, I could win you over. I could convince you. But I dare say that there are those here right now in this room who have suffered so much more than anything I went through. I'd be embarrassed. I'd, I'd blush to think that I even thought that what we went through was bad. There are people here that have suffered much worse. Probably, I don't know this, but I wouldn't be surprised if someone here, you were abused as a child. I, I can't imagine what that was like. There's one here, almost certainly, your wife or your husband was unfaithful to you. You were betrayed by your best friend. And by the way, total forgiveness is not total reconciliation. Sometimes it happens, but more often than not, it doesn't. If your best friend sleeps with your spouse, you forgive them, but you don't go on holiday with them. Total forgiveness is not necessarily total reconciliation. But it's when you let your enemy off the hook and you bless them. Some years ago, it's been about six, seven years ago, I was famous in South Africa for one day. <laughs> I'll tell you what happened. I got letters from all over South Africa. I made the front page news of the main newspaper in Durban, Pretoria, Johannesburg, Cape Town. It's because a black woman in South Africa went to prison to meet her parents who were slaughtered by this white racist in South Africa, slaughtered. And she wanted to meet the man who had killed her mom and dad. And word got out. And the press were waiting for her. Why did you go in there? Why, why did you go meet this man? And she said, I went to tell him that I forgave him. Why would you do that? And this is, I'm not making this up. She said, I read a book by R.T. Kendall called Total Forgiveness. And that's how I made the news for one day. <laughs> it's amazing how that God can use that and the unthinkable take place. And the truth is, the day could come in your life where in chapter 50, verse 20, where Joseph says to his brothers, Yes, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And whatever you've gone through, I can guarantee you 
that if you come to the place that you do what Joseph did, you too will be able to say, God meant it for good. Now, if you'd told me that in those years when all this happened to us, I would have had a hard time believing it. There was no chance, no way I could ever be thankful for that. I can tell you now, you can put me under a lie detector. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. Are you saying that for me, RT? Yep. I am saying that. The thing is, it's the hardest thing you ever have to do. It goes right against nature. It could be that there's someone here. Maybe you have a prophetic gift. Or maybe you have a gift that hasn't been discovered. And you believe that God revealed to you sometime in the past that he was going to use you one day. Now, after a few years, you begin to say, Lord, how long? How long? How long? How long? And I've come back to Dallas today to tell you how long. As long as it takes to bring you to the place where God got Joseph through. And if you can become like Joseph, for all I know, the next Billy Graham is in this room. For all I know, the next governor of Texas. But you'll never know. You see, we're living in a time when small men wanting power and to show vengeance when they get it. And this is what they live for. Think about it. Now, God is looking for somebody who genuinely, genuinely, totally forgives. And what I want us to see is that Joseph is our example. And if you can do what Joseph did, I has not seen nor near heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. The question is then, how do you know you have totally forgiven? If I asked for a show of hands, I believe that hands would go up everywhere, that you have forgiven. And I believe you. I believe you. But if I were to show in the next 20 minutes that you haven't totally forgiven after all, my question is, would you then do it? So before we leave today, we'll have an opportunity. You'll come to decision time, and you can decide whether you want to do what Joseph did. Well, the question is, how do you know you have totally forgiven? Proof number one, you don't tell anybody what they did to you. Listen. This comes right out of the text. Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants. And he called out, have everyone leave my presence. Everybody out. Why would that happen? So no one was with him when he made himself known to his brothers. Why would he say everybody out? You imagine Joseph. He's speaking through an interpreter. He's wearing Egyptian garb. It's been 22 years they don't have a clue it's their brother when suddenly he says, everybody out. 
I imagine the interpreter might say, well, do you want me here? No, out. And now behind closed doors, when Joseph and the 11 brothers are there, and he begins to speak to them in Hebrew or whatever language it was, and says, I'm Joseph. I'm Joseph. And they are terrified. Why did he make everybody leave? It's because he's going to persuade them to go back to Canaan, get their dad, all the family, and come and live in Egypt because there's going to be famine for years. He wants them to live in Egypt, but he knows if the word leaks out, what those brothers had done to their prime minister, every Egyptian to a man would hate those men. And so he's going to make sure nobody will ever know. There was no one with Joseph. You see, proof number one, you don't tell what they did. Now, there are two exceptions. One, you need to tell one other person for therapeutic reasons. I told Joseph Tome. The other exception, I had a lady come into the vestry many years ago, and she said, they have found my rapist. I said, oh, interesting. She said, they want me to testify in a court of law. I said, well, well, you must. Oh, Dr. Kendall, you've taught me to forgive, and I've forgiven him. I said, I believe you. I think that's wonderful. But this is different. A crime must be reported. It's not personal. But what's the real reason we tell what they did? It's because you can't bear the thought that the world does not know what they did to you. So when you've been mistreated or hurt, you're on the phone. Here's what they did to me. Why would you want to tell it? Well, it's because you, you don't want anybody to admire them anymore. You want them to see what you're going through. In other words, you're wanting to punish them. What about the verse that says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Yes, Lord, but you're so slow. <laughs> and so we, we want to help God out. We do his work for him. I'm going to tell you right now, God is the expert in defending you and in vindicating. He doesn't like it when you do his job for him. This is what he does. Don't rob him of the pleasure he's going to get his way. But the trouble is, we, we can't bear it. We have to tell what they did. You can tell one, not two, not ten, not five hundred. Tell one. Oh, you can tell God. By the way, that's the way he likes it. Psalm 142, verse 2. Pour your complaint out to the Lord. Tell him. It's like the old spiritual that came out of the cotton fields of Alabama. Nobody knows the troubles I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. And you see, that's the way Jesus likes it. That he's the one that knows. But when you tell 2, 10, 20, 30 others, and then you tell Jesus, you're not confiding in him. Tell the Lord. 
Proof number one. You tell nobody. This is a test. Proof number two. You don't let them be afraid of you, nervous around you. Look at this. These men are terrified. They're scared to death. And Joseph says, come close to me. Come on, come, come, come close to me. You see, they, they couldn't believe it. That the man they were going to kill now just wants to love on them. Just come close to me. And they came nearer. You see, when you haven't forgiven a person, you walk into the room and they see you and they freeze. And you think, oh, good, I love it. You want to keep them nervous. Or a husband or wives to play this game. Keep the other a little bit nervous. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Why do we keep records? To prove we paid. Why do we keep a record of wrong? Well, so we can throw it up to them. Husband says to the wife, I will remember that. And he does two days later. You hold on to it so you throw it up. By the way, this message could heal any marriage in trouble. If, there's, if that exists, any marriage on the rocks, this message could heal your marriage by sundown today if both of you will tear up the record of wrongs. You say, well, I'll do it when she does it. She says, well, I'll do it when he does it. No, you do it for the Lord. You're doing it for him. By the way, I only have one hope that you're going to take this on board. Only one hope. Why would you do it? Why would you do such a ridiculous thing? Let people off the hook. I can tell you why. If maybe there's somebody here you want a greater anointing of the Holy Spirit. If that's what you want, you're at the right place. If it's not what you want, you'll be bored for another 15 minutes. But this is the way forward. Increased anointing. You don't tell what they do. You don't tell what they did. You don't let them be afraid of you. And you don't throw it up to them and make them feel guilty. Look, Joseph says, come close to me. I am your brother, the one you sold in Egypt. And now don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here. He's setting them free. But you know what, what gets our goat? It's when the person who's hurt us doesn't know how hurt we are. And this is the hard part. They don't know you're hurt. And you grieve, and it, oh, it hurts. You want them to know. This is where the anointing kicks in. You can't even go to them and tell them. You tell the Lord. You tell Him. Oh, by the way, when this sermon is over, don't go across the room, go up to somebody and say, well, now, in the light of R.T.'s sermon, I forgive you. They say, for what? Oh, you know. I don't know. Oh, you do? Well, I don't. Well, you should. Now you've got to fight, which is what you wanted. You can't bear the thought that they don't know how hurt you are. The issue, how much do you want more of the presence of God? 
And don't be surprised if the person that you have to forgive is not only a Christian, but has a reputation of being godly. Mm, godly. You've heard the poem, Living with the Saints Above. Oh, that will be glory. Living with the saints below. Well, that's another story. I'm your brother Joseph. Come close to me. Come close to me. You don't throw up to them what they did. You make it easy for them to forgive themselves. Have you ever said, well, I forgive you for what you did, but I hope you feel bad about it. Well, you're wanting them to suffer. You see, perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. You're wanting to punish them. You don't tell what they did. You don't let them be afraid of you. You don't throw it up to them. And fourth, you let them save face. Now that's it's an oriental expression. It's where you act like you don't know what they did. In Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, he says, win over a friend. If you let another person save face, you've got a friend for life. Save face. In other words, you cover for them. You make it easy for them. How did Joseph do this? He said, look, he said, God just sent me ahead of you to prepare a, prepare a future for you. He said, you've forgotten. This is predestined. God said to our grandfather, Abraham, that one day his seed would be coming out of Egypt. So somebody had to get here first. And God says, Joseph, you go first. That's all. I just got here first. It wasn't you who sent me here. It was God. It wasn't you that sent me here, but it was God. And these brothers, they're look, these 11, they're hearing their brothers say, God did it. I can imagine Asher saying to Naphtali, Naphtali, did I hear right? We didn't do it. Gad says to Judah, Judah, did, he, did I hear right? We didn't do it. And Joseph said, that's exactly right. This is what God did. You talk about letting them save face. They couldn't believe their luck. That's the very reason now they're here. The reason this is happening. God was at the bottom of it all. And this is the wonderful thing. Let them save face. Don't rub their nose in it. Make a way for them. It's Joseph's way of saying, when you stop and think about it, I would have done what you did. I just got here first. If I'd been one of you, I would have, done, I would have felt like you did. Just remember the thing that you have to forgive. You've done that. Oh, I haven't done what they did. Well, maybe you didn't do what they did, but you've done other things that is worse in God's sight. Properly understanding this will take self-righteousness out of you. And instead of blaming the person, trying to make them look bad, you'll come to the place you say, there go I, but by the grace of God. You don't let them be afraid of you. 
You don't tell what they did. You make it easy for them to forgive. You let them save face and you protect them from their darkest secret. What was their dark secret? Well, I can imagine that the 11 brothers are saying, well, it's well and good that Joseph has forgiven us, but he's going to make us go back to Canaan and tell our father, Jacob, what we did about the coat of many colors. They would rather die than to have to tell that. And Joseph knew that. It's so sweet. I didn't read the whole story. Read it. Joseph writes the script for them. He tells them word for word what to say to the old man when they get back to Canaan. He won't let them tell. He won't let them tell. And you see, God is that way with us. We've all got skeletons in the closet. And God is not wanting to yank out the skeleton and embarrass you in front of everybody. As far as the east is from the west, so far are our transgressions removed from us. A gracious God we have. And Joseph is showing that he won't even let them tell what they did. Proof number six. This is very important, possibly the most important point. Total forgiveness is what I call a life sentence. It means you've got to do it as long as you live. It's like when your physician gives you a pill and says you'll have to take this the rest of your life. I have a pill. I have to take I took it this morning for stomach acid. I'll have, a, have to take it as long as I live. Total forgiveness is that. You're going to have to keep doing it. You say, well, I, I did it yesterday. That's enough. No, we've got to do it today, tomorrow, day after tomorrow, a week from now, a month from now, a year from now, and can you believe that the people I've had to forgive goes back for years and they're still alive? <laughs> I still pray every day for them. Every day. The thing is, when you pray for them every day, you ask God to bless them. You ask God to bless them. And this is the hardest part. That's, that's the seventh thing. Here... Here is what we learn. In chapter 50, Jacob dies. It's 17 years later. The brothers panic. They make up a story. They come running to Joseph and said, Joseph, dad died and told us to tell you before he died, please forgive us for what we did. They made up a story. Joseph wouldn't even let them tell him, but they couldn't believe it. And Joseph starts to cry. And says, what's the matter with you men? I told you 17 years ago, I forgave you. I forgave you then, I forgive you now. Here's the amazing thing about Joseph. He really had forgiven them. It was real. It wasn't just an act. And so total forgiveness has got to come from your heart. Where it's real. And you actually pray for them to be blessed. Just before we left Westminster Chapel a few years ago, retired after 25 years, in those days the pastor led the worship and we were singing one of my favorite English hymns. Praise my soul, the King of heaven. And in comes a person through the door 
takes her seat on the fourth row from the back, right in the middle. And while we're singing, there she is. This woman has done incalculable damage, emotional damage to one of our children. When I saw her, I lost it. I lost it. I said, how could she do this? What is she doing here? And I had to mouth the words. It was awful. And then after we finished that hymn, I had to read the scripture. Then we had to sing another hymn. And then the pastoral prayer in those days, the way they did it, it was a prayer that went six, seven, eight times, sometimes ten minutes. How I got through praying that prayer with that woman out there, I do not know. But I finally got through it, and it was offering time. And this is what saved me. I sit down, and I've got about five minutes to wait. A deacon comes up, welcomes the visitors, makes the announcements, and says the morning offering will be received. During that five minutes, something happened. It's never happened before, never since. The Holy Spirit entered into a conversation with me. Now, I don't say this is verbatim, but it's, well, it's pretty close. So, the Lord looks down at me and says, So, R.T., you want to see revival in Westminster Chapel? That true? Well, yes, Lord, yes. Good. How much do you want to see revival? Oh, a lot. Really. Which would you rather have, revival or for me to send judgment on that woman back there? Revival. Good. Pray for her. I pray for her. <laughs> Say it again. I pray for her. Say it again. I pray for her. Ask me to bless her. Bless her. <laughs> Say it again. Bless her. And what if I answer your prayer and I actually bless her? Lord, you wouldn't do that, would you? <laughs> this is the point. And I had to start saying, bless her, bless her. It was killing me. Bless her, because I knew God was going to do it. And he did. Just between you and me, that woman thrives today in London. Whether in heaven I can resist going up to her and say, I know why God blessed you. <laughs> but I'll tell you something. I had to put her on my prayer list to pray for her every day. Every day. Something happened. It should not have surprised me, but I'll tell you. All of a sudden... I began to get more insight into the Bible than I'd ever had in my life. I couldn't write the thoughts fast enough. In a day when you can't get a book published, publishers come queuing up to me wanting me to do a book. I couldn't, I, people ask, how come you've written all these books? They think it's my education. They think it's my brain. No, it's this. It's practicing this. When you live in total forgiveness, and I found that my 
praying for that terrible woman, it became selfish. So selfish that I began to look for an enemy's prayer list. It's five on it. None of you, yet, Once in a while, people, they mean well. They'll say, what's your secret, R.T.? Well, if I have one, this is it. I live this way. And I can tell you right now, there's no substitute for this. And God will do it for you. Doesn't mean you'll be an author, but you have a gift no one else has. God wants to use you. But at the moment, as long as they're the slightest bit of unforgiveness and bitterness. No, he can't use you. But when the day comes, you set God free to bless them and you pray for them. You've no idea what's coming down the road for you. Okay, sermon is finished, but wait. I'm not finished because I made a deal. The deal was if I were to show that you haven't totally forgiven after all, would you then do it? And so it's decision time. If you have seen something in the last few minutes that made you see you haven't totally forgiven, I'm going to ask you in one minute, not yet, 60 seconds from now, if you're ready to forgive, to stand up in 55 seconds. You say in front of all these people, yep. Oh, they'll know I've had a problem. Well, is that, is that important to you? Does it matter what God thinks? In 45 seconds, I'm going to ask you to stand. Don't stand unless by standing you're prepared to say, I won't tell what they did. You're too late, RT. I've already done it. Don't do it anymore. I won't let them be afraid of me. I won't rub their noses in it. I will let them save face. I will protect them from their darkest secret. I accept this is something I'm going to have to do as long as I live. And I will bless them. Five, four, three, two, one. If you're prepared to forgive, I want you to stand to your feet. Isaiah says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. It may not come around again like this. I'll wait 10 seconds. Don't miss this moment. Now stay where you are. What you've just done is the easy part. The hard part will be an hour from now, you think, why did I do that? Tomorrow morning after a cup of coffee, you say, I can't believe I stood. So look, we haven't prayed yet. We haven't prayed yet. You can still get out of it. I'm not going to look and see who prays. This is not between you and me. This is between you and God. 
Because we're going to go now into a covenant. That makes it very serious. Every covenant in the Bible was ratified by blood. We are under the blood of Jesus shed 2,000 years ago. And so I'm going to ask you to pray. Saying, Lord, I'm under the blood of Jesus. I'm going to ask you to pray out loud. Here we go. Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you. I'm sorry for my sins. Wash my sins away by your blood. I'm sorry for my unforgiveness. I repent of my bitterness. I forgive them. You forgive them. I bless them. I set them free. I set them free. I set them free. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you for your patience with me. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. I give you my life. In Jesus' name. One last thing. One last thing. When you mess up, you will. The devil will say, see, there you've broken the covenant, so it's over. No. That's what the devil wants you to do. When you say something you shouldn't say, you keep a record of a wrong. You point the finger. Catch yourself. May God help you. To, right then, say, Lord, I just messed up. I'm sorry. Good old 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Good old 1 John 1, 9. Just use it so that the covenant continues. And I promise you that months from now, if I never meet you again, years from now, could be, you'll look back on this. It possibly is the greatest moment since your conversion. I'm finished.